0: I think the, the most important thing to do is find, find something that you actually care about and enjoy it and, and try to do that for, for your job, whatever your job might be.
1: Welcome to the Nexus Teaser Podcast, an audio appetizer for our monthly UX meetups. I'm Ben Watson, I'm from NC State Computer Science. I'm Michelle from NC State
0: College of Design. I'm Joseph Spute from uh, NVIDIA Research. So
1: I'm really excited about this interview because an important part I think of the mission of Nexus is we draw a strong connection between engineering and um, the more design or human sorts of disciplines that are yeah. um, traditionally associated with user experience. So I look forward to it. So, But let's begin early. So the earliest I could find in my quick Googling of you is that um, you went to school at UC Riverside. I did. So, yeah. So you were you knew you were going to do engineering. At least, especially early on, you were doing a lot of um, hardware work, architecture. Yeah. The-
0: the the secret is that I in undergraduate I I kind of fell into embedded systems um, because that just
1: means architecture it, in small devices, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, embedded systems is kind of this umbrella term for everything that has to do with microprocessor code or uh, field programmable gate arrays, which allow you to describe kind of custom hardware components. Um, Using lookup tables, custom um, chips, custom chips, reconfigurable. Yeah, the, the reconfigurable logic, mm-hmm. um, and and all of that was kind of in this embedded systems area, um, and I, I had a chance to do un, uh, research as an undergraduate, and the advisor was in, in one of the one of the faculty in in that area, so I kind of got roped into that. But at the same time, I had this parallel interest uh, in computer graphics, oh, um, which you know I only took one class on it. I tried uh, maybe two. I think I did, like, the intro to graphics. Um, Who and was teaching that? Victor Zordon. I was gonna ask if you knew Victor. Yeah, v- Victor Zordon, he was, in fact, the, the advisor for the student uh, ACM chapter, um, which, you know, I ended up being, I think, vice president of the student chapter. Today. Oh, wow. So I interacted with Victor regularly. Okay. Um, was he
1: as much fun as, uh, as a professor as he was as a grad student? I went to grad school with
0: him. Oh, yes, he, he absolutely was <laughs> as much fun. Well, I, I didn't go to grad school with him, but he, he was a, a delight uh, cool. as, as his student. He got me very interested in graphics. Uh, and that when I was applying to grad schools, uh, you know, I had this background of embedded systems, hardware-related stuff, uh, but a you know really strong interest in graphics. Um, and so I looked at the schools, and uh, the University of Utah is known for its graphics. Yeah. Right? I went and interviewed with a couple of the faculty there as I was considering grad schools, uh, and it came out that there was this hardware graphics um, grant and uh, mm. a whole project with you know multiple faculty involved in it. Mm-hmm. And, and it looked, it seemed like, oh, this is perfect. This is, this is what I want to okay. do. I want to take my experience in hardware stuff, combine it with graphics. Um, and that's where I went. That eventually led me to NVIDIA, where I worked on uh, GPUs.
1: Did some um, of those faculty that you met end up at NVIDIA, too? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> some of those faculty are, are
0: currently at NVIDIA. Okay. Uh, they, they had a startup that was, was bought by NVIDIA doing uh, real-time ray tracing. Uh, okay. And you know.
1: That would be Pete and.
0: Pete Shirley and, and Steve. Steve Parker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Pete was on my uh, committee. Um, yeah, I
1: looked at your dissertation briefly. <laughs> I mostly read the acknowledgments. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, it, it was it was great to be able to work with uh, Steve and Pete. Uh, they're they're both incredible and know so much about so many things.
1: So in your acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you said that uh, your advisor at Riverside tried to encourage your interest in artistic endeavors. And uh, what were those? I'm curious.
0: <laughs> I- interesting. I, I'm not. I'm not remembering what I wrote. <laughs> it was probably
1: happening at three in the morning.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's there's always been a little bit of uh, kind of artistic flair on the side. Like I I've I've always desired to be good at drawing and uh, uh-huh. and, and sort of art in general. But I, I don't feel like I personally have the you haven't really invested. natural innate power, yeah. and I haven't invested enough time in okay. that. Um, so. There was a good opportunity in grad school, however, to be a TA for my advisor, who, you know, he himself is a hardware guy. He did two classes that I would say are kind of mixing art and engineering. One of them was art and VLSI, which is very large scale integrated circuits, Huh? Um, because what you do in VLSI is essentially draw a bunch of rectangles. Um, and there's sort of an art to getting those rectangles aligned correctly because you're creating transistors and uh, wires it to connect sounds sort of like things. Mondrian. Yeah.
1: So, do you know Mondrian? No, is? I don't. You should look at it. I mean, he doesn't draw little tiny ones, but he <laughs> arranges lots of lines and rectangles on big canvases. So I could see the connection there, that there's something artistic to looking at a, you know, at least a portion of these days of a circuit um,
0: yeah. design. Yeah, and, and these days there's a lot of automatic place and route where the, these rectangles are drawn for you. Yeah. But the you know the, the history comes from a lot of people who did this work by hand.
1: And yeah, like Turner talks about that. He's like, these days, <laughs> you just give it to some algorithm, and he yeah. you could say you could tell that he doesn't approve. <laughs> 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 but I think it's necessary. They're so complex now. You know, any one person, maybe even any team of people, couldn't really do at least as good a job as an algorithm.
0: That's true. The the algorithms handle a lot of it for us. Mm -hmm. Um, So there there was that one class um, in art and VLSI. either. what did you produce? I'm curious. Yeah, my production was a a circuit that would generate... uh, Procedural noise functions, which are used uh, in movies and video games to create uh, Textures that are like automatically generated Ken Perlin stuff. Yeah, kind of Ken Perlin style noise uh, functions.
1: He got an Academy Award. He did. Yeah
0: Um, And and so some of the work we did following on to that led led to a publication in Hardware Accelerated uh, Perlin style noise generation Cool. um, Which we call gradient noise because instead of being Sampled it applies a gradient at each lattice Um, maybe we shouldn't get into that yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, the the other course that I was involved in was uh, I I was a teacher's assistant for a a course in the sculpture department at the university
1: how does this happen how does somebody (laughs) in engineering become a TA over it's
0: because my advisor um, went to a sculpture professor and said hey I really want to do kinetic art kinetic sculpture, um, you're in the sculpture department, I like to fiddle with this stuff on the side. My, my advisor, uh, Eric Broomvon, owns a print studio with his wife on the side, oh. uh, so they, they do all sorts of uh, you know lithographic and uh, etched printing.
1: Kinetic sculpture, is that like the stuff that's hanging from the ceiling and moving around in some fashion? Yeah,
0: typically it ends up moving, um, but kind of... The mobiles, people yeah, call them. Mobiles, uh, so the students in the class ended up producing a lot of really cool things. Um, typically you want some sort of sensor input of some sort uh, and then some output. Now it doesn't have to follow all of that, right? It could it could just move yeah. on its own um, over time or it, it could take an input. Uh, one really simple example was uh, th- there was kind of this piece of leather stretched over a plastic eyeball um, and when you would... You know, get close to it. The eyeball would (laughs) would rotate. Um, It it was extremely creepy. But the student put this together in a in a week or two, really. Okay. um, Because we we enabled them with you know the basics of Arduino programming. I see. uh, And they were able to accomplish some really magnificent, interesting uh, art. uh, You took some interesting
1: similar classes um, at State with Emil, right, Shaw? Yes. Yeah, Emil's ML, a really interesting guy. He's one of our podcasts on one of our earlier podcasts. Okay. So, um, then you finished school at a, a. You finished your PhD. Yes. And Harvey Mudd was that right after?
0: Yes, right right after I finished, uh, I there, there came a great opportunity to go teach at Harvey Mudd College as a visiting professor. Uh, that came up because they had. Uh, two computer engineering faculty in their engineering department. And both of them went on sabbatical at the same time. Oh. And, and so they had nobody to teach these courses. Right. Um, and so there, there was this opening uh, that needed to be filled. Uh, so you know, I, I jumped on that opportunity. Um, it, it was great to be able to be a colleague with my father um, who had worked there o- almost my entire life growing up. Um, to sit on the faculty with him and be in department meetings together, and um, on top of that, the the school, Harvey Mudd College, is is a it, it's a very diverse uh, school, and, and it you know being a liberal arts college, they focus on kind of the general uh, education in addition to going into the technical details. I
1: always thought Harvey Mudd was engineering focused.
0: It's engineering and science, but they, they have a humanities department. Mm. Uh, and among the Claremont colleges, there are five or seven, depending how you yeah. count. Um, it, it is The humanities courses at Harvey Mudd are known to be the hardest courses <laughs> among all of the, the schools, even though the focus nominally is science and engineering. And that's because they, they hire very good faculty in their humanities and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and arts department. Um, and, you know, wh- while I was there, they hired, a, a, they, they hired an artist coming out of NYU, I think, uh, to that department. And, and he was doing some really cool projects, um, putting ha- having the students draw on walls and, and, and things like that uh, in public hallways, so, you know, their, their art was kind of present in, in everyday life on the campus,
1: cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty unique too. the The colleges aren't they sort of all deeply collaborating in some way? Like you can get your degree by taking classes at the Yeah, ones.
0: yeah, that, that's exactly true. And yeah. and a, a couple of people were getting their degree in, uh, you might call it Harvey Mudd engineering, while being officially enrolled at a different one of the schools. Oh, hmm. uh, which, which is kind of. It's uncommon, but it is possible. You can you can go to Harvey Mudd and you can get a degree in English from one of hmm. uh, from Pomona, uh, for instance.
1: Isn't um, I'm not going to say her name right. I think, but is it Maria Clava?
0: Yeah, like
1: the chancellor or something. Maria Clave the uh, is the president, president? of mm-hmm. Harvey
0: Mudd. I believe I believe that's the right title.
1: Yeah, so she's uh, I I knew her a bit when she was at UBC, uh-huh. um, but. They did some great work, and she led a lot of it in. Um, I don't know what to say. Building diversity. Uh, yeah, the
0: engineering. Right? They, they've done they've done an uh, incredible job at, at getting the the gender ratios to be roughly matched. And and while I was there, we graduated more women in engineering than we did men. That's um, really impressive. Yeah, and uh, the they're. One of the things they did in computer science, which was not my department, but uh, I'm aware of the change, is they, in their intro to computer science, where you're nominally learning programming for the first time, although most of these students <coughs> coming into computer science already know some programming. Well, um, you know,
1: I, I think m- most of our audience may not know, but Harvey Mudd regionally is re- really well known as an excellent undergraduate engineering institution. Yes. So yeah. the students who come will be really prepared.
0: They they tend to be really prepared, um, yeah. but but they found that there was sort of a, a macho sort of uh, feeling from a lot of the you know young men who are entering uh, programming. Some and programming it, going on. Yeah, some programming, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Have you heard that <laughs> phrase
1: before, Shaw? No, no, it's a problem. <laughs> it, it is a problem, um, uh-huh. and,
0: and the way they decided to address it. Is to create this they, they didn't call it advanced because that's not really what it was but it was like black and uh, gold because those are the school colors okay um, and and one of them was for the the programmers right the people who had prior experience and they let them go off and do a couple you know uh, extra projects that are you, you might call them more advanced but they're really on the side so you get you get something else for your portfolio but then you get those people out of the, you know, the class that's for people who may not have any prior programming experience. Yeah,
1: because everybody goes through these intros.
0: Yeah, everyone goes through one or the other of these two classes, mm-hmm. and so this other one no longer has those people who have that real macho attitude in it, um, and allows you to get up to speed so that at the end of those two classes, you uh, the students exiting both of them have the same uh, level of skill in programming. Hmm um so they can go and, and join up in the next class and, and be more you know intermingled and mixed and uh, I, I believe there's also some amount of um, training that goes on for the programmers to help them you know understand <laughs> that you know you're not walking on water you're you're doing good stuff but it, you know you're you're one of the group and you need to be inclusive
1: yeah so i would be interested to learn about that partic- particular part of the training cuz uh-huh. i think everybody could benefit from that sort of education. Most of our educational systems are really good at developing your sense of expertise in your area, mm-hmm. but not in developing your understanding and empathy for people who are from other areas.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, So, uh, I think that's a shortcoming that you know exists for people who've already finished school and for mm-hmm. people going through school today. So, yeah,
0: and, and in the college objectives right that you you assess at the end of every course there there are a number of these diverse uh perspectives that it's kind of hard to incorporate in every single course some of these you know real science oriented courses you really need to get through the math principles or or whatever it is um but the the faculty at harvey mudd has taken a holistic approach to this where they look at the entire curriculum across all the different departments and they try to say, okay, well, you know, we have these courses in the humanities that are required, and they will present a certain aspect of the d- diversity uh, of fields and an understanding in the world. Uh, while other ones, you know, they they maybe they, this particular class gets a little more narrow. But then in the more advanced classes, maybe you broaden your your perspective yeah. of
1: view. Well, that's cool. It's cool to see that first uh, to hear about that, and for you to see that yeah. first Yeah. Did that reach into engineering much?
0: Yeah, um, engineering's a, a little different as a department since it draws across all fields of engineering. Mm. Um, and, and so you get the bio- biomedical or mm. biological sciences. It's already uh, pretty diverse. Yeah, it ends up being pretty diverse already. Uh, but at the same time, Harvey Mudd also has this problem that it, because it's so well respected, you don't really uh, get very many people from lower socioeconomic status who it's private, apply. Right? Yeah, it, it's a private school and it's super expensive. Uh, and so it, while it has made huge leaps uh, to increase diversity, and I, I do feel that the students graduate with a, a much broader uh, mm-hmm. view of the world uh, and more diverse experience, they don't necessarily uh, get to interact with people who might be coming from inner cities um, where where socioeconomic status is fundamentally different than yeah, you see there.
1: Yeah. so that's sort of diversity, not so much.
0: Yeah, they, and the, um, one thing they are doing is they have a what they call a global clinic, mm-hmm. which is where they work with... Uh, they, they, so the clinic project at Harvey Mudd is kind of a senior design project that runs for a full year, and a company comes and pays the students to work on this project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can think of it as like a year-long master's student uh, doing contract work for the company.
1: Oh, so this is after their fourth year? or this, this is
0: during their fourth year. Okay, so
1: it's a senior design... Yeah, process. it's
0: a senior design project. So they're uh-huh. doing it on the side with all their other classes. Oh, but you they put still like, have a full load. Yeah, they still have a full load. And, and you have...
1: So they're kind of interns, part-time interns.
0: They're kind saying. of part-time interns, yeah. Uh, but you put four or five of them on a team so that they can mm-hmm. get about one person's worth of work Kay. done throughout the year. Um, and the, the Global Clinic is... Uh, taking this this concept where you have a small team at Harvey Mudd, and then you get a team from another school internationally. Oh, cool! Right. So then maybe you're not even necessarily speaking the same native language, mm-hmm. um, and, and and so that that brings in a little bit more diversity and understanding. And, and they really like foreign exchange. Uh, there were there were always students from France in my classes, for instance. Uh, they would come for a year uh, to study with us, and uh, that's cool. Yeah. So they're they're trying to get the global perspective. By taking a couple small steps that are relatively easy and straightforward. Well, it
1: sounds like you really liked it.
0: I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you left. <laughs> I, I, so I left.
0: Um, yeah. Um, my, you didn't my, get a
1: permanent position, I guess. I did
0: not get a permanent position, and yeah. the. What happened is while I was attending, or while I was teaching at Harvey Mudd, I, I had the chance to come to NVIDIA and work on ray tracing hardware, which right. is what I did for my PhD, and it, it has the potential, um, and you know this is what I wrote about in all my papers to revolutionize computer graphics, um, especially if you make real time ray tracing uh, hardware. Um, you know, I, I, that that's what I was super excited about in my PhD, and so NVIDIA right. gave me the chance to come work on that at, at NVIDIA. Um, and so I spent a couple of years working on what is now the Turing GPU architecture, uh, and I'm so so happy to finally be able to talk about that for the last because <laughs> it was just released. Like it was just released. Ago, yeah, uneven. Yeah, it, it was released this month. Yeah, um,
1: uh, for uh, people who don't know graphics. Um, could you take a shot at explaining why ray tracing is going to be so special?
0: Sure, uh, and and maybe the best way for me to explain this is to go back to my undergraduate uh, graphics course. Okay. Where one of the projects was to build a ray tracer. Uh huh. Um, and and what a what, what that is is you take uh, the the way light works is it kind of propagates in a direction until it hits something, uh, you know. It, it could hit participating media in the air, but yeah, let's ignore that for, for the second. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and so it hits a surface, and then the, the light reflects off that surface according to what has come to be called the rendering equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so by doing simple ray queries where you, you generate a ray, that, that's the origin point and then the direction in the world. Uh, and then you trace that until it hits geometry you can very simply compute uh, the illumination of the world. Okay. And Turner Witted had this observation that if instead of taking light from the light source, you took it from the camera Mm -hmm. uh, point point of view and traced it in reverse, then you would much more quickly resolve the image that the camera would see, or the image your eyes would see. Um, Now, it turns out, um, we, we did that project in undergrad and it was yeah. great and I was like, oh, graphics is super simple because you just shoot these rays and you know, you add more of them and you get more realistic light. That, that's
1: uh, the first project in my course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's logical, <laughs> it, it makes sense. Well yeah, it no, turns no. out
0: that graphics hardware has evolved to do something else entirely Yeah. over the years and and, and that that operation is much more complicated uh, to explain. and. But I
1: guess it must be better for hardware in some sense. Yeah, it, uh,
0: it, it is more efficient for the basic operation, because what it does is it takes a bundle of these rays, uh, gives them a common origin and kind of a common distribution across mm-hmm. uh, some space, and that lets you optimize some of the math. Uh, so so it, it goes a bit faster, and it turns out that that's faster enough to make people want to optimize hardware for it. Um, but. What what you then have to do is you have to kind of bend your mind and twist yeah. this algorithm to try to do more complicated things than basic visibility. Um, for instance, you 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 generate shadow maps that way, but that's really just kind of an image of what the shadow might look like from some perspective, the perspective yeah. of light. Uh, and if you ray trace it, it's just simple and straightforward and it does the right thing and you don't have to do anything crazy.
1: So it sounds like your basic argument is that it's just easier to understand, it's easier to build Graphical applications. Yes. This way. And At least, concept for the human mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And the, and the thing we, we would say is why try to evolve the algorithm to make it look like what you want when you could just evolve the hardware to run the algorithm that you want.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've sort of been stuck for whatever thirty years with <laughs> yeah something that's better for the machine than for the people who use it use them.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Okay. Does that make sense to you, Shaw, in any way? Um, like the graphic is funny, like um, <laughs> when you say graphic, you mean like computer algorithm, like all the combining technology, the graphic in my definition, at first, is just 2D graphic, you know, like 3D. Yeah, like graphic design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, computer graph, and we, we get that confusion sometimes. Every now and then, a design student will come to me and say, should I take your class, and I say, Probably not <laughs> have you had programming experience, you know, like that? yeah, it's not it's not really the same thing they're definitely related, but
0: yeah, yeah in, in social circles, when I tell people I do graphics, they think graphic yeah. design yeah. that, that's kind of and it, I think that field is bigger and yeah, there are more people participating in it, so it makes sense that that's where your mind would naturally It's you know,
1: funny because if you listen or uh, to graphic designers talk about their field or Read books, biographies. They had the same problem fifty years ago. <laughs> you know, like, you know, people would try to explain what they would try to explain what they did to the public and they didn't know. They didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you had the chance to do hardware, you came and you did it. I was, did. That, was that a, on a consulting sort of gig?
0: Yeah, sort of. Uh, I did two full-time summers and uh, part-time during the school year yeah. for two years. And at that point, it was decided that it was hard, It was a product. Mm-hmm. right? And I kind of wanted to continue to participate as a researcher, as a research scientist. And so the way for me to do that at NVIDIA was to be pivot. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to be hired as a researcher. And if, if I was going to keep working on ray tracing hardware, I was going to be hired as a, an engineer a product engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to reinvent myself and reinvent my research direction, and that was exciting to me because I'd been working on ray tracing hardware for probably ten years at that point. Uh, it, it felt like... You had to
1: reinvent yourself from being an instructor, is that what you mean, or from being what?
0: From being a, a ray tracing hardware guy. Okay. Right? The, my research focus for ten years had been hardware for ray tracing. It, it was that one thing, that oh, singular focus.
1: But now you have to broaden. Them.
0: Yeah, and, and so it was. I can't do that as a researcher anymore because it's, it's a product. It's a product. It's not research anymore. Yeah. So you know what? How how do I reinvent myself? And, and mm-hmm. there was a a good opportunity in uh, Dave Lukey's group at NVIDIA to start looking at uh, display hardware for head-mounted displays. Uh, we were considering virtual and augmented reality. Uh, three years ago, and, and it was kind of a growing area in, mm-hmm. inside uh, the, this new experiences group, which uh, Dave, Dave called that uh, specifically because he wanted to have this broad cross-disciplinary group. Um, and, you know, my chance to work with cross-disciplinary engineering teams at Harvey Mudd uh, really led into my desire to to broaden and, and be on a team that has uh, human visual perception scientists and uh, it has, yes, computer architects, like I'm, I'm mm. used to working with, but also uh, the, the people trying to solve these human factors problems and understand uh, human perce- perception.
1: And some display engineers too. Yeah,
0: d- d- some display engineers and particularly optical engineers because a big part of getting the display to work right in the glasses form factor is optics.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool, so, so that was the point at which you decided to make the jump. Yes. Yeah. Do you, re- do you miss your teaching?
0: Do, uh, do I miss teaching? Uh, from time to time, yes. Uh, okay. I, I like to get interns here so that maybe I get a little taste of that on yeah. a small scale. Uh, always the most rewarding teaching experiences for me were in one-on-one interactions, okay. where you're able to look at the work that the student's been doing, uh, kind of analyze it and, you know, point, mm-hmm. ask a couple questions to help them. Open their eyes, and you can see the light bulb turn on mm-hmm. once you hit the right the right chord in their mind. Yeah, uh, and and that that's just a really rewarding experience. Yeah.
1: So um, now your your CV says that you're interested in the human aspect uh, perspective yeah. on these technologies. And so when did you was that part of your broadening?
0: A little bit. So yeah. the the root of my interest in, in human factors and, and kind of the human experience uh, actually comes from video games and online video games in particular mm-hmm. where you're able to be connected to people uh, across oceans or you know anywhere in the world or anywhere that you can have a short enough turnaround time of network communication, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so coming from that perspective, it seemed like virtual and augmented reality were going to be a way that we could shorten distances bring people closer together uh, and, and bring bring people close to each other but with the machine as the interface mm-hmm. and so we it it makes sense to me that we need to figure out how to make that machine interface uh, useful and efficient
1: yeah for people
0: for people something that people can use and and
1: right yeah okay so what do you think are the Generally speaking, what do you think are the sort of pressing human problems that these technologies face?
0: Well, we we could we could talk about specific things like voice input, right? And and you know, I I have uh, Echo Amazon Echoes at home. I have uh, Google Homes at home. Uh, None of these really really work so well that I feel like it's seamless. Yeah. you, you could talk about, uh, you know, traditional displays with mouse and keyboard. Um, those are good for some things, but not so good for other things. You could yeah. talk about um, touch screens which which are everywhere. Uh, you know, they, they gave something that seems more natural, but you're still kind of restricted in, in some sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's something there. I don't know if you have any, Sha uh, if you have any little brothers or sisters, but my boys were using touchscreens much more... Much earlier than they were, mice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're
0: probably going to be more adept at touchscreens yeah, than yeah. They ever will at mice.
1: Yeah, there's something you know. It says something mm-hmm. that, um, semi-automatically, they sort of knew what to do with those interfaces.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that and, and that interface being kind of this one-to-one motion. Yeah. You're. you're your finger moves, and the thing underlying it moves right. the same amount.
1: There's no indirection. Like with a mouse, yeah. we we take it, we don't think about it anymore. But the mouse is moving over here, and the thing is moving over there, and you have to make a cognitive connection. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, so in that sense, it's not like the real world, usually,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a, a parallel example to that is I, I got a, a Wac- Wacom tablet to yeah. help me annotate slides while teaching, but it's one that doesn't have a display, right? Oh. So you have to yeah. do the same mental separation, you're drawing. Shawn knows her
1: tablets. <laughs> <laughs> the whole design department is full of those things. Yeah, it was just frustrating. Well, I think you, you all also have the ones with, that are screened by themselves. Yes.
0: Yeah, I, I think the screen ones are just so much better. <laughs> except for the price, I think. Yeah, expensive. except for the yeah. price. They're, they're like <laughs> ten times more expensive. Something like that. <laughs> um,
1: what do you think, in a, sort of from an end-user point of view, will be the real sort of value of this new tech? So... It's great that I can put a, an object anywhere I want to now. Yeah. Why does that matter to me? What is it going to help me do in my life?
0: That, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, the, there are all sorts of visions that different people have painted for the future mm-hmm. and, and what you can do with this tech. But I, I think for me, the ability to kind of free yourself from specific locations where you have your computing devices, mm-hmm. be able to have that computing interface anywhere is kind of liberating. Um, and then the ability to have the people you want to interact with anywhere is also liberating. It, you, know, we, you don't necessarily have to travel. Uh, my family lives in California still. I don't necessarily have to travel to California to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and. If you can embed them in the real world more convincingly than what we get with Skype or FaceTime, uh, that, that's going to make a significant change, I think, in, in how, we, uh, how, how much closeness we feel uh, emotionally and hmm. you know, mentally to the people. Um,
1: I agree with that. I mean, I think it's going to be valuable that you can sort of do FaceTime anywhere. Not just on your little phone. Yeah. Um, so human communication, and then like you were hinting at, it, I think sort of adding information to the world.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, I, I mean, as a programmer, it, w- it would be nice if I could, uh, you know, say I'm taking a walk in the forest, and I have this like moment of clarity, and I understand, oh, that's what I need to do for this program I've been struggling with. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if I could just you know sit down and type it up, the right. you, you know the ten lines of code that I needed. Uh, and then you know, put it away and go back to the the nice walk in the forest.
1: Okay, <laughs> uh, Joseph on a rock in the woods, <laughs> debugging his code.
0: <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't necessarily go all the way through the debugging. <laughs> form, but, you know, get get the notes taken down in, yeah. in a meaningful way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the question I was going to ask you was, NVIDIA is a pretty widespread corporation. Yeah. So. I know there's a big headquarters in Santa Clara, Uh and then there's an outpost I think up in the the northwest somewhere, right? Uh, Uh,
0: And then... Seattle? Yeah. Yeah, there's a Seattle and a Redmond office.
1: Yep. And, um, okay, so why did you come here? Why did I come here? The the reason
0: I came here is uh, having written ray tracing hardware papers, I cited Turner Wooded regularly. Yes. Every single paper. Because and of Turner, you came. Because of Turner? I came because of Turner. <laughs> Turner. Uh, <laughs> Turner had left Microsoft Research, uh, uh-huh. and uh, Dave Lukey managed to hire him. And he, you know, with with a high profile hire, you want to build a group around that person to okay to make sure it's meaningful and, and you can get the things done that you want to. Um, and you know, he he's had this vision of wallpaper displays for a very long time. Oh, really, a long time. Yeah, yeah. very, very long displays, time. He used to call it. Yeah, and. You know, that, that seems compelling and interesting to me, and you know, trying to put more compute uh, near the display mm. uh, seemed like a, an interesting line of research, and I wanted to be able to work with him, really. Okay. Uh, and he, he wanted to be in North Carolina, he's from North Carolina. Yeah, this is
1: where he grew up and went yeah. to school.
0: so I, I needed to come to North Carolina.
1: So what do you think of the state and this area?
0: Oh, it's been great. Um, yeah? Yeah, it, it's a little more humid than I'm used to in Southern California. Well,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, California's pretty dry. Yes. It's on the other extreme.
0: Yeah. Yep. It, it's very dry there and, and you know, uh, it, it's, it's been nice, the, the beach is close enough, the mountains are, are close enough. All right, so
1: I promised to ask you that question. Have you had any thoughts about what you might say to, or what you do, do generally say to a student who's, going, who's graduating? When they're leaving your door for the last time? Yeah,
0: stuff. I I think the the most important thing to do is find find something that you actually care about and enjoy it and, and try to do that for for your job, whatever your job might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I In growing up, I, because my dad is a professor, I always thought I wanted to be a professor um, and I got a chance to be a professor um, and, and I could have tried Staying on that path and, and doing academic research, I thought that would be really enjoying, enjoyable. Um, and I still enjoyed the research and, and I would enjoy t- teaching. But, uh, you know, I I happen to be very, very lucky to have this opportunity to to work on hardware that I th- think is going to change the world. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had to jump on that opportunity and then uh, to be able to come work with uh, Turner Witted and... And all that—it's it, it, all stuff that I'm very passionate about, and, and has enabled me to keep learning, which is important to me, uh, and keep keep making, right? Hopefully, uh, help the human uh, society progress in right. meaningful ways.
1: Make a contribution. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks for your time today. You're welcome. <laughs> You've been listening to the Nexus Teaser Podcast. Our meetups happen monthly on Fridays at 3 p.m. at the Hunt Library. This year's meetups and podcasts are sponsored by Eastman Chemical, LexisNexis, and KPIT. Our music was composed and performed by Ricky Copper. To learn more about Nexus and its meetups, podcasts, and projects, go to our website at nexux.ncsu.edu.